This recording begins with a reading of the Gospel of the Day. That will be followed by the homily from Father Paul O'Brien. From the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were, to fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. <clears throat> Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, a week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving. But believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and had believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that th th through this belief you may have life in his name. Is the Gospel of the Lord. We are celebrating Easter, the 50 days that are the church's most important liturgical season because they mark the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the coming of salvation into this world. We are hopefully all praying that through the grace that God offers us during the Easter season, the reality of salvation will be renewed within us and within this world. The first eight days of Easter are celebrated liturgically as one long day, which is completed this Sunday as the octave day which is also called Divine Mercy Sunday. Divine Mercy Sunday was instituted by Pope St. John Paul II, inspired by the visions of St. Faustina in 1931. Mercy. Our Jewish spiritual ancestors had revealed to them by God that God is merciful. Justice is what's rightly due to each person. Mercy is God's love given to us beyond the limits 
of strict justice beyond what we in strict justice have due to us. God is always just. That never goes away. And God's goodness constantly prevails over punishment or destruction. God has a loving concern for all people. God recognizes our needs. God recognizes our pain. God recognizes our sin. God always desires our happiness, our well-being, our fulfillment. God enters into our lives. God makes his love tangible to address the needs we have. All of that is divine mercy. Jesus, the eternal son of God who becomes a human being, is the full revelation of God's mercy. In all of his public ministry, Jesus seeks out people who are sinful, people who are economically poor, poor in many different ways, people who are sick, people who are marginalized. Jesus seeks out people who are suffering. He recognizes these people's needs, he enters into their lives, and he acts to offer people new life and love. That's mercy. The passion and death of Jesus is the ultimate outpouring of merciful love. It's the ultimate revelation of God's mercy. The human race, we've gone over this so many times during Lent and the beginning of this Easter season, the human race has freely, knowingly turned away from God, from our original union with God. God is the only source of our life. When we human beings freely choose to live apart from God, we choose death. There is no life apart from God. Injustice, when the human race chooses death, the human race deserves death. God never denies justice, but God envelops and surpasses justice with an even greater event of love. Jesus, in his passion and death, enters directly into sin. He enters directly into death, and he breathes out love and life. This is the fullness of mercy for sinful humanity. It's through that outpouring of mercy explicitly that salvation is brought to this fallen, sinful world. Salvation, it turns out, is and only is the merciful love of Jesus Christ. Please pay close attention this week to the gospel passage that we just heard from John 20, which I think you probably remember is read every year on this octave day of Easter. Look at what Jesus does with and in the people in this passage, specifically in terms of mercy, after he rises from the dead. In the Gospel of John, on the evening of Easter Sunday, Jesus' closest disciples, not including the disciple Thomas, are holed up, fearful, in a locked room. 
the risen Jesus, appears to them. Jesus doesn't say anything about most of his disciples' failures to remain with him during his passion and death. Instead, what Jesus says twice is, peace be with you. Jesus wills peace for these disciples, the deepest kind of wholeness that comes from God. Jesus shows his disciples his hands and his side so they can really recognize he is truly risen. And then he gets right to business. Jesus states clearly who these disciples are now to be. And he states what turns out to be his fundamental commission for them for the rest of their lives. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus breathes his spirit on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. The risen Jesus, who is mercy, he is mercy himself. When he first appears to these disciples, he extends mercy to them. He then breathes into them mercy, and he sends them out into the world as instruments of mercy, with the very particular gift of ministering the grace of the forgiveness of sins, which is mercy. In that gospel account, Thomas, to repeat, is not present with the other disciples when the risen Jesus appears to them on Easter Sunday evening. The other disciples, of course, tell Thomas that they've seen the risen Lord. But Thomas famously says to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Many of us really admire Thomas because he's honest, he's straightforward, and he's limited, just as I am limited. Thomas is also wrong. Thomas doesn't trust his closest friends. He is, in fact, self-centered in his expectations of how faith is supposed to work. And Thomas is, at this point, more than a little bit demanding. During that first week of Easter, after Jesus' first appearance, how do the other disciples treat Thomas? Clearly, they treat him with mercy. We can only imagine the details of this, but they clearly accept Thomas with all of his limitations. He's still there among them the next Sunday. That is clear evidence of their loving him mercifully, beyond the strict limits of justice, beyond a response to his limitations. On the second Sunday of Easter, Jesus appears again to the disciples. When Jesus speaks to Thomas, once again, Jesus doesn't say anything about Thomas's limitations or failures before Jesus's death and after Jesus's resurrection. Instead, Jesus once again says the very same words that he did the previous Sunday, peace be with you. Thomas hasn't run out of chances with Jesus because he's limited. 
and he's been wrong about the resurrection. Jesus tells Thomas to see the nail marks, to touch them, to put his hand into his side, and he says to Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believe. It's clear to me, Jesus says and does what he says and does with Thomas, and with a sense of urgency, because Jesus is entirely merciful to Thomas, and because he needs to get Thomas moving, and Thomas has to choose to get moving, to be an instrument of mercy in the world. Jesus hasn't risen for some small group of people. He's risen to bring salvation to the whole world. He needs Thomas to get out there and tell people this good news. Jesus sends Thomas and all of his disciples to go out and get to work for him in the world to what do what John says at the end of that passage, to help others come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief, the world may have life in his name, that the world may be saved. Thomas does this. The other disciples do this. John does this. You and I, at Easter of 2023, are commissioned again with renewed grace to do the same. If you're praying for the growth of salvation within you this Easter season, if you want to cooperate with the grace of the Easter season, reflect and act this week on the truth that when you were baptized, whether that was a week ago or 80 or more years ago, what you received was mercy. God wants you to be the instrument of his mercy in this world. Easter, salvation, is the final triumph of God's mercy in this world. Easter is the breathing out of that mercy for real through the Holy Spirit into Jesus' first disciples 2,000 years ago and in every subsequent generation. Easter is the sending of those disciples into the world to be the instruments of spreading God's mercy. This all becomes real for us, just like those first disciples, when we say yes to it. Pope Francis reminds us over and over again that if we're authentic disciples of Jesus, mercy is meant to be the foundation of our lives. All we do should be caught up in making mercy real in this world. Mercy is meant to form us. It's meant to constantly reform us, to underlie all of how we increasingly choose to live. Mercy is meant to be the source of our credibility as Christians in this world. We are meant to stop judging as only God can judge, to stop condemning as only God can condemn, to seek good in other people, and to give generously to meet people's needs. This is mercy. There is nothing but opportunity for the growth of mercy in this world today and in this country today. 
you and I are meant to enjoy and be filled with joy, to grow in joy in being the instruments of mercy. So as you hopefully reflect on this, on this Divine Mercy Sunday and in the week ahead, I'll send you home with three easy, specific considerations that I hope apply to all of us. Any authentic disciple of Jesus Christ, in my opinion, needs to be sure that he or she understands those dynamics about justice and mercy, what justice is, what mercy is, this is who God is, this is who Jesus is, and this is who I'm meant to be. This is supposed to be so familiar to us because we're meant to turn to it day by day by day. If you're a parent, if you have anything to do with the raising of children, if you have anything to do with trying to build a better world for Jesus, constantly you should be referring and explaining easily to other people, this is what justice is, this is what mercy is, how do we pursue the realization of mercy in this relationship, in that situation, in this workplace, in that school, in this city? We need to be ready and able to constantly explain in word and to show in action to other people what mercy is. Number two, I find that any authentic Christian is meant to regularly ask himself or herself, is there room for mercy in a whole variety of situations? A sincere Christian is constantly trying to understand and juggle justice and mercy. In so many situations, I need to ask myself, usually after I have a grounded sense of justice in a relationship or in a situation, is there room for mercy? Sometimes the answer is no, because the parameters of justice, real justice, are so strict. Sometimes the answer is no, because I, and this is much more often than not, do not wish to bring mercy into a given situation. I ask myself regularly in decisions I'm making, is there room for mercy? More often than not, there is. More often than not, when my first reaction is no, that is about me, not about the reality of the mercy God wants me instead to live. Thirdly and finally, Cancel culture, which only grows in this world and in this country particularly, is the antithesis of mercy. At its extreme, cancel culture is our choosing to end people's lives effectively because of the bad things that they do to end their lives socially, their employment, to kick them out of institutions, to effectively wipe them off the face of the earth. Cancel culture is fundamentally anti-God. Cancel culture includes no mercy. It excludes mercy. 
the more cancel culture grows and grows, the less room there is for the mercy of God in so many of our lives. In the midst of that reality, any Christian can stand out as a bright light of Jesus Christ, simply within cancel culture saying out loud, I am not gonna go there. I am not gonna cancel this person or that person, this group or that group, explicitly because I believe in mercy. A person who is able to say out loud in his or her family, at work, at school, I am not joining the cancellation of this or that person because I believe in mercy will be noticed. And even within cancel culture, my experience is, because so many folks are unfamiliar with what mercy even is, many people will react to that statement, I believe in mercy, by asking, what is that? What do you mean you believe in mercy? What is mercy? That is the opportunity to spread the good news. As in all cases, when the darkness is greater, the opportunity for the light of Christ is also greater. In cancel culture, there may be no greater openness to the reality of mercy than any of us have previously experienced. Pray this week for God's mercy. Pray this week to grow as the instruments of God's mercy. You have been listening to Father Paul O'Brien, pastor of St. Patrick Parish in Lawrence, Massachusetts. For more information about the parish and to get involved, please go to stpatrickparish.com or follow us on social media. Thank you for listening.